Well, we are live, but I've got to do a quick little sound check, so I'm going to play the music one more time. Sorry, everybody, about that. All right, we're good. We'll stop the music. We're good. Because <laughs> uh, last time, yeah, the last time that uh, <clears throat> the last time that you were here, uh, uh, Este, and um, th- yeah, the, the last podcast that you did, Remember we set it up and then at the beginning of the podcast that the audio device wasn't connected. So there was a bunch of people that got the links and they were waiting to watch. And then no sound. Uh, we had to, yeah, we yeah, had to shut it down it and start it again. And a bunch of people couldn't find it. They didn't have the new link. So a lot of people got mad at me, but uh, you know, we have to make sure that we get it fixed. So yeah, it I is fixed. They said it's good. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. So yeah, we are rocking and rolling. Uh, what's up everybody. We've got a solid group in here today man nothing but killers in this room like this is at the moment this is the most savage podcast on the internet yeah for sure uh, <laughs> let's do or, or the heaviest the, the heaviest <laughs> i don't know about that man well yeah matt matt contributes to the heaviest category us i don't know we're all about 200 pounds that's pretty normal yeah, for a grown man a, right i used to make fun yeah. of one of my partners because i told him any grown man over six foot should weigh at least 200 pounds he was like 180 yeah, six six foot one eighty. You're pretty skinny. Yeah, yeah you're you're a pretty skinny guy. But man, for the longest time, I was uh, six foot one seventy when I was uh, training for MMA, and I was like in my late teens. I couldn't get over one seventy. It's just like I, I ate day and night, but I also trained day and night, and it was that was just my walking weight. So, anywho, let's do a quick round of introductions. Let everybody know who's on the show. Let's let's start with you, brother. Uh, Matt Hardison, uh, kind of a El Paso in here. Just oh, you just got to talk into the mic. Oh, my bad, man. Yeah, no, um, you're good. You'll you'll get used to it. Resident, you can you, can you can move that however <laughs> you like. There you go. So so you you played uh you played college football. Played at uh, Oklahoma State. Yeah. Solid. Started at a Northwestern Oklahoma State. Won a national championship my freshman year in college. Transferred out my sophomore year. Walked on at Oklahoma State. Got a full ride. Played junior year and started as a senior. So. I think you got to get a little bit closer, bro. Yeah, sorry about that, but um, if you it, it might it might it might sound okay to us, but the people listening won't won't really hear you. And on that side of the table, needing no introduction, making their return to the Barbar Show podcast. Take two, as we say in Arabic, Ashhar Manar Ala Alam. You guys are now more famous than a flag on fire. I say that in Italy. How do you say it in Italian? That's it. No, no words necessary. All right, so. Um, Quick intro, and then we'll, we'll 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 go on from there. Yeah, it's good to be back, uh, John Scanaliato. I'm a, a orthopedic surgery resident um, here today with uh, a good friend of mine, and also uh, another um, well, one of my attending physicians. His uh, boss. His boss. Yeah, uh, on the mat and off the mat, I guess too. Yeah. But uh, blue belt in the gentle art. Uh, happy to be back and uh, to be chatting again. The gentle art. That depends on who's the one engaging in it. Not in this room. Exactly. <laughs> not, not in this room. <laughs> uh dr garcia yeah so esteban garcia most everybody calls me este now uh some of the guys calling are uh listening or they used to call me nacho we can talk about that later if we want to yeah let's talk about that later uh yeah orthopedic surgeon uh i do pediatric and orthopedic sports or sports medicine um yeah awesome here before awesome so the last time you came on the show you brought me this bottle uh, it's called stag kentucky straight bourbon whiskey and we were gonna wait until uh until today yeah to crack it open so uh, i want to try this out it's uh, hopefully it doesn't put me to sleep 
Should be good. It seems super strong. Based on, why? Why is that not opening? You break this. Oh, you got to peel it. Yeah, it's Damn. fancy. Super fancy. Fancy stuff. Yeah. So, what's everybody been up to, guys? While I, while I get this thing open, what's going on? Training. Uh Yeah. Did a little yeah. rogue challenge last week. Oh shit! Yeah, we got to yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. that. We need to talk about rogue that. challenge. Hell yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that. Tell, tell they, me about that. They Number did a, three in the world. What? Hell yeah. yeah. Um, rogue what? put on a fifty cal echo bike challenge. Opened it to anybody who had access to a an echo bike. Um, when I saw it, I, I messaged D. I said, "Hey, man, you think I ought to do this?" And I think uh, Peter over here saw me do the the assault bike. I've never done the echo bike, um, so I, I took a shot at it. First attempt, did it in 27 seconds. Posted my time Saturday morning and sat, I guess, number one in the world for two days. Yeah. Um, wow. Going into Monday oh, thanks, of this past week, and then. Another guy uh, got me by a second uh, late Sunday. So him and I started messaging on Instagram and talking. And then uh, I guess Monday afternoon, I tried it again because I was in second at the time. Then a finish. I'm just best dude. World record. Finish world record holder. Rower. Pops in at a 25 second. And then a random 18, which, which has been, I think, determined as faulty equipment. So right now it shows me as tied for third in the in the world. Um, the way it should shake out, I should end up solid third. Yeah. So the way it works. That's incredible. Yeah. So the way it works out, basically the rogue echo bike is, you know, a piece of cardio equipment in a CrossFit gym. And uh it was the time quickest to 50 calories. And uh yeah, Matt ended up with the 26. What was the what was the other guy's name? Uh, uh, last name's Garcia. What's his first name? It's Nick Garcia. Nick Garcia. Yeah. yeah. Wait, wait, wait. So, so who burns fifty calories the fastest? Yeah. So it's it's a purely anaerobic co competition. Yeah. Hold yeah. your breath and go for fifty seconds. So go for fifty calories. But a bigger guy is gonna burn more calories than a smaller guy. Are there weight classes in this thing? Well, yep. so really, it's not even measuring how many calories you're personally burning. The bike is measuring it based on the work that you're putting out. Okay, but again, a bigger guy can put down more force and with every step on that, the bike. That's what you'll see. The top three guys, me, Nick is 6'3", 285. I'm 6'6", 285. And then the Finnish rower, he's probably 6'2", 220, but just shredded. Yeah. Just a beast. Yeah, there's nobody my size that's competing with these guys on that. Hmm. Why, why don't they do weight classes? That seems weird. Well, they put it into four categories. They had a male 18 and over, female 18 and over, Male seventeen and under, and female seventeen and under. Okay, yeah. And they right, have so other you either, either got to be a man or, or stay home. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> they they do other challenges that uh, are better suited to smaller people, but uh, they I think they were giving a shout out to the big guys for this one. Right on. Well, that sounds awesome, man. So I'm um, I'm sorry I was a little bit distracted when you were talking about it. Is it over or you're it's, still? It, it finished Monday at eight at at six p.m. Uh, Mountain Standard Time. So you finished third place in the world. That's the way it looks right now. Um, They'll, it can still change. This is like the election. Well, it's not over yet. Yeah, no they're shit. putting all the results in. And they're supposed to notify us by the 28th. Okay. I was like, yeah, you it, can't do this overnight. <laughs> yeah. Right. We're um, calling for a recall if he doesn't get there. <laughs> yeah. It's legit though. So first place was 5,000 bucks and a oh. new rogue echo bike. Second, Damn. Second place yeah. was three grand and a new bike. And then third place is a grand and a new bike. So That's awesome. hey. I think that we got a couple of shout outs from the, CrossFit Games athletes and yeah. reposts and stuff. Damn, like that. yeah, it was, it was that's awesome. awesome, dude. It was good. 
That's fantastic. Now, Esther, you do CrossFit. You ever think about competing in anything uh, in the CrossFit world? I've done some local competitions. I'm horrible. But as far as like on a rogue level, nah, I'm rogue horrible. fitness, I'm no? Yeah, no. His, his competing never. got me into jujitsu. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, when I got back from my deployment, uh, Matt and our buddy uh, Brett basically said, hey, let's do this local competition. I said, great, but then you have to come out and do jujitsu. And Matt upheld his end. <laughs> well, gee, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Dr. Garcia, for inviting this 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 monster onto the mat. The first, you, you you've only been you've only been rolling for like a few weeks, right? I did it. I, I did it three times in December of last year, and then started in June. Yeah, June. Kind of when everything opened back up. And I grappled with you about a few weeks ago, yeah, and I think yeah. that was like probably your fourth or fifth time on the mat. No, no, and no. I've, He's been since June. Every, since June. Every day oh, oh okay. Yeah, been, okay. Well, okay. So you're your 25th time on the mat. Yeah. No, I'm not trying to say that he sucks. I'm trying to say that it sucks to be me <laughs> grappling with him because yeah. even with all my years of training and all my experience, I couldn't do anything. Yeah. So um, it's pretty brutal. It's it's, it's like, rough, yeah, man. It's, uh, and he's getting better. I couldn't I couldn't get top control, so I couldn't put any pressure. Like I just, we locked up and I was like if I clinch with this guy, he could accidentally break my neck. And so I pulled guard and I figured maybe I could try to find some kind of sweep or an inverted leg lock from the guard. Nope. He just, it was like, it was like when a bear eats a seal, you know, they put their paw on it and they just hold the seal down and then they, the seal isn't just going anywhere. Yeah. Bit, you're just anything. there. Like you're not going anywhere. I watched that echo bike video and I was like, yeah, this is every uh, Friday morning. I go to that morning open mat. It's like, I just get, destroyed for 26 You're the 28 seconds yeah. <laughs> and then i'm exhausted and then, and then it's, it's all over at, uh, at that point i'm concerned for a chronic injury and that i'm never going to feel the same again uh but yeah you know the thing about like for you i think what's going to be probably the most annoying thing in training is that it's going to be really rare that you can really let yourself go against yeah. against the training partner. Yeah. Like you're always going to have to, and you might get bored a lot of times because you just, you want to put out more, but you can't because you're going to, you're going to mess people up and then nobody's going to train with you. One of the things I've been, I've been learning is I'm trying to work more on the technique than being a big guy. That And that's great. That's what you got to do. But, um, you do also need to find training partners, your size and, and yeah. your strength level, yeah. because, when the time comes that you do lock up with somebody like a Brock Lesnar uh, that has that, that can match you in strength, yeah. then your, your technique is not going to get that far because you're not used to that level of intensity. By the way, you're bigger than Brock Lesnar. Am I? Well, he's yeah. he's what, like 6'4", 265, 270? He mm -hmm. cuts the 265. That's yeah. the cutoff for heavyweight in the UFC, right? Oh, I didn't know they had an upper the weight. There, there's a cutoff they, for, they for heavyweights, yeah. Yeah, so like really big guys have to cut. It's mm. awful. Yeah. So, so uh, do you have a do you have a tattoo of a dagger in your chest? No, no daggers, not, <laughs> not quite yet. All right. Maybe a battle <laughs> axe. <laughs> Matt's got a good training partner. Ravi's a little bit lighter. Ravi's what two fifty. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's and good. So yeah, and they're there's just not a lot of heavyweights out here yeah. in El Paso. The, the heavyweight scene is very limited. Yeah, well, that's what uh, this last uh, the Warrior Invitational out uh, out in Big Springs. The commentators were talking about how there's not a lot of big guys in uh, El Paso. So if you're a big guy and you do jujitsu, come out. Yeah, we got a training partner yeah. for you. That's right. That's right. Uh, well, great, man. Let's uh, let's try this whiskey. I'm I'm oh, yeah. really I'm I've been eagerly anticipating this moment. Thank you, by Cheers. the way, for the bottle, yeah. and thank you everybody for being here. Cheers, everyone. Ah, that smells good, dude. That just like yeah, Matt and Griff. You you missed Griff oh, by um, no. I did I, you roll them? Yeah, I rolled with them a few times. That would have yeah. been uh, <laughs> oh that my god, would have been a sight to behold. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't uh, need. Uh, you know, they say, "Oh, that's going to put hair on your chest." I'm Middle Eastern man. I'm, I've already got that covered. I don't need more. I probably shouldn't drink this. <laughs> that stuff is strong, right? It's going to put hair on my shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the thing about uh, obviously Griff is good. Griff's a beast. Yeah. You know, Griff would say that he was like 240, but in reality, he was probably like 260. And uh, the, I think the difference just being that Griff's a big dude, but I don't know, Griff's what six two. I mean, I think that four inch size difference oh, with yeah. Matt's strength. And, you know, it's one thing to be Matt's size and uh, learn how to do jujitsu, but kind of be slow and not as athletic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, Matt is all around like a great athlete. And For so sure. he's not slow at all. We were just joking that if you had to run away from Matt, you better run real fast for 40 <laughs> yards or else he's going to catch you. Yeah, got 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why uh, hippos kill so many people. Right, you hippo. Bad a hippo. <laughs> uh, in, in in a way, because hippos usually people think that they're slow because they're just so oh, yeah. big. I mean, they weigh. I don't know, like a like a full grown male hippo is what, um, like four thousand pounds or something, Tons. and they can run. I think up to thirty miles an hour. So people think that they can get close, and if something happens, they run away. They're not going to run away. They're going to yeah. get trampled. Yeah. And so hippos kill more people than all other animals combined. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. That's before. pretty crazy. Yeah, but they're so cute. <laughs> Wasn't there just some news story about some dude had a pet hippo and oh, God. Uh, got killed by his pet hippo? Of course I, I he did. Was. Yeah, dude, they can kill you on accident. Like you don't understand that. I mean, people have to think about the amount of strength it takes to move four thousand pounds that fast. Oh, yeah. They're freakishly strong creatures. It's like all the apes too. I mean, there are uh, you know there are podcast personalities that talk about chimpanzees all the time. But that lady who had the chimp as a I pet, I talk about chimps quite a bit. Yeah, I haven't done much on the podcast yet. But. Yeah, I mean to be able to throw a few hundred pounds from limb to limb and climb up trees effortlessly. Yeah, that's an insane amount of strength and coordination that we they just, they can just tear have. you apart, man. Oh yeah, they can just take, you know the most interesting thing I've I've, I've ever heard about chimps is uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson talks about this quite a lot about how our DNA is only about one percent different from the chimp, and so based on that calculation, we have to assume that our level of intelligence is only one percent greater than that of the chimp, mm -hmm. and out of that one percent emerge all of our inventions, our science, our technology, our societies, everything that humans have come up with just comes out of that 1%. And so he goes, imagine there was another life form that was 1% smarter than us, the same way that we're 1% smarter than the chimp. They could be operating in our world. We wouldn't even know about it. Mm -hmm. right? Because the, the chimps don't know that we're doing a podcast right now. You know what I mean? I mean, I hope not. <laughs> right we're <laughs> in a lot of trouble well it's a freaky thing to think about man but it's so true it's like it's only a one percent difference what do they say there's like um two thoughts and they're both equally terrifying we're either alone in the universe or we're not right? yeah both uh i think alone is less terrifying why is alone terrifying because this is it yeah i mean i think if you start looking at the question of like why and how are we here yeah that's where it's terrifying right like if you don't have uh, a higher power that you worship or pray to or whatever your your thoughts and beliefs are if if you think you're alone uh i think there's a lot of people that think loneliness is scary so um but we're not that lonely man there's like eight billion people on earth yeah but there's a lot of idiots on the planet yeah but even idiots can provide company 
Yeah, but for how long? <laughs> <laughs> how long before you get sick of it? Yeah, minutes. Yeah. No, but it's yeah. I mean, I like that quote kind of resonated with me because it's like if we're not alone, great. Like, have we been discovered? Are we never going to discover somebody by chance? We should have found something, right? We just launch satellites that go straight and send back information, and nothing yet. Or this, this is it. We are the the survivors of whatever uh, needed to be put out here, and we're the ones who are uh, alive and we made it. And like, cool. Like, you, you didn't see the the story here like a week ago about the Israeli scientists saying we've already made contact with aliens. Well, I'm expecting that if if uh, President Trump actually doesn't continue to be the president, you know, if we finally find some resolution in this uh, election, I'm expecting him just to let us all know uh, what's going on in the world. So, yeah, I mean, the yeah. truth should come out sometime soon. What makes you think that he would know if there if there are aliens? Who's going to tell Trump, bro? That like they'll tell everybody in the White House except Trump. <laughs> That's what I, if I become president <laughs> first day, like, you know, policies are one thing, cabinets are another thing. Show me the aliens. Yeah. Show me the aliens. Find me the Area 51 files. You know who would tell us everything, no bullshit? And I've been posting about it on my social media ever since the start of the election. Dana White. I want Dana White to run for president. Who, would, who wouldn't vote for Dana White? I, I mean, I would. Who's his running mate? So if you, if you got Dana White leading the ticket, who's his running mate? We don't need a we don't need a running mate. What, what are you talking about? Well, I'm saying who's his VP? Uh that's a good question. Let's see. How about Matt? Yeah. I, I was thinking Masvidal <laughs> go with like a Masvidal. Yeah, Masvidal be good. Yeah, yeah. That'd be, yeah, that'd be a good team. Man, I just love how like he he just takes no nonsense. He's very he's very different as far as his approach to business than a regular uh, president and CEO of a company. Like one time in a in a um, uh, in a post-fight press conference, a reporter asked him, you know how reporters always like to push push the buttons of, of the fighters and yeah. Dana and everybody. And they asked him, they're like, hey, what do, you, what do you have to say to the people who are complaining that the main event wasn't that good? He goes, don't fucking buy it. <laughs> like, <laughs> the end. Yeah. That's it. Like, no nonsense. Like, that's something Trump would say. But the point is, like, what would have happened if you had some guy who went through business school and adopted all that all that business etiquette and way of talking you know they would have been up there talking about like well we always strive to provide the most uh, entertaining card ever and it is our mission and our vision to blah 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 and we're people, gonna go back and, and then, reassess yes yeah. yeah we're gonna yeah we're i'm gonna sit down with my matchmakers and yeah and then and then the reporters would have eaten them alive yeah. dana white comes out don't fucking buy it the end by the way, this is great, dude. There's like a little hint of vanilla in it. Is it's there good. vanilla in it? Yeah, it's good. Like, I could actually taste the it, vanilla. It's real strong, but it's good. Yeah, I always make fun of those people who talk about like, you know, they go to a wine tasting and they have a sip of wine and they're like, oh, I can really taste the oak and the, the hint of earthiness. And I'm like, what the fuck are you have talking you about? Have you seen that documentary though on Netflix? It's called Which one? Psalm for some, I, I can't even Solomay. pronounce the word. Yeah, some, exactly. Some of us. He's kind of smart. Um, <laughs> I yep. That's. It. I just looked at his. <laughs> what is it? What is it about? Training exam. So kind of, kind of smart. <laughs> Above what, average. What, what is? What is it about? So it's about these people who are training to become sommeliers. Yeah, the the wine specialists. And what they do is, uh, their test is a practical, and they I forgot how many glasses they line up or sips, and they have to get the year, region, grape, um, and maker of the wine. And when when we first started watching it, I watched with my wife, and we were like. No, you know, just what you said. No way. This is ridiculous. 
and you watch it and they're a hundred for a hundred. They nail it every single time. And then that's they, amazing. They do it for whiskey, cigars, and beer. Also, they can sip something blind and give you the region when it was bottled, if it was a rainy or a dry year, and you compare it to the wine the and look f- at it's insane. Yeah. That's I've, crazy. I've really. That's that one percent that you were talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the, the chimps are eating their own feces, and the one percent we can tell you exactly what region of France <laughs> wine came out of. I can I can solidly tell you which is bush and which is netting. <laughs> Bud light, but heavy. You can tell the difference between bush and natural <laughs> no, light. No, oh, no, okay, okay. No. <laughs> That's pretty crazy, man. Yeah, it's a good watch. I guess people know something. Some things I don't know. Yeah, I. Uh, I'm willing. I'm willing to accept that. I mean, I can't tell anything apart. It's like, oh, it tastes like, um, and I love it. I, I like bourbon and scotch, but I'm, I, I just well, don't have that. I don't so have that. But let's, let's compare it to, I mean, I guess if that's your thing, you'll learn so much about it that you'll become good at distinguishing mm. stuff. Like I could look at, if you just showed me a picture of a trigger, just the trigger, not the rest of the firearm, almost always I can tell you what firearm it is. Yeah. And so I think it's the same thing. It's yeah. just whatever, whatever you study for a while. Yeah. But I just think like, I wanted to do this experiment where I have somebody over you know, some, one of these people that claim to have high sophistication in wine. And I have, I have some empty high-end bottles out there, you know, they're just like from whatever, they're just there for decoration. And I want to get just a standard $8 off the shelf bottle and pour it into that expensive bottle. And then when these people come over, be like, Hey man, I know you're a, you're a lover of wine and you have a sophisticated palate. Let me, let me hook you up with this, with this treat. You know, I'm going to pour you some of this awesome, $300 bottle of wine and then have them sit there and tell me about how delicious it is and how they can taste the earthiness in it. And it's a little bit on the, uh, it tastes a little bit like blackberry and whatever the hell. And it's an $8 bottle from Costco Two buck Chuck from Trader Joe's. I would say there's, there's some good, like uh 10, $12 bottles of wine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like what? Oh, I couldn't name them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, I, I don't have much experience with alcohol really, but, um, one of my friends, he's he's into that kind of thing, and he spends a lot of money on on some bottles. And um, he told me that after he said that with wine, after you go like after you pass, I think he said four hundred or five hundred dollars a bottle, they all taste the same. Oh, it's forty bucks for forty bucks. Yeah, yeah, no, seriously, if you're paying more than like forty fifty dollars a bottle, um, now there's some great wines that cost more than that. But for the most part, once you're paying above like 40 bucks a bottle, you're just paying for the name of the winery, the name, the, the, you know, the packaging, whatever else. Like just to uh, show your friends that you're richer yeah, than you them. You know, I got, I got this like $200 bottle of wine. I mean, with that being said, like there's some really, really good wines that are in that $100, $150 a bottle range. But, uh, you know, and I, I'm talking from a, a cheap, like novice wine drinker. But uh, I think if you're drinking something, Day to day, that's in that thirty to forty dollar range. It's good. That's good wine. Premium wine is, uh, I think, above twelve dollars a bottle from a business perspective. <laughs> I, was, I, was a, I was a business major in undergrad originally. We did a, a case study on Diageo, so yeah. big liquor importer, and they own low tier, middle tier, high tier of all the spirits. So that you know, um, if you look at a lot of the, the the bottles out there, you look at who they're actually imported by. Diageo, almost every one. And they have, you know, the, the the plastic bottle offerings and the glass bottle offerings, and then the ones that are behind the locked cabinet and the liquor store offerings. But in their business model, premium wine, at least you know, ten years ago, was twelve dollars a bottle, above twelve. Yeah. So like, you know, fifteen dollar bottles, which when you first think about it, like that seems 
kind of average for a bottle of wine, that's in the premium wine category. Like standard cheap wine is like $8 boxes or, you know, Mad Dog 2020 out of the 7-Eleven malt liquor, uh, you know. But that's that, a rough night. Right that's there. a good night. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yeah, it blew me away. I, I would have said. Huh? I said the jug of wine. That's where it's at. The jug of wine? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you see somebody yeah, drinking out of a jug, that person means business. Yeah. Serious, that's a professional. That's a, that's a mission. That's, <laughs> yeah. not, that's not drinking. Fantastic. That's a professional right there. Huh. I don't know, man. This uh, this stag is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like mean, it. For, you know, for whatever. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I can't. Like I said, I don't. I, I haven't tried much, but this is pretty good. I would say it's definitely a uh, special occasion kind of. You're not drinking this all night. Well, yeah, this is a very special occasion. But why is this sparkling water water oh, yeah, that you got yeah. called Liquid Death? What's the deal with that? I, you walked in here, and I look at the box, and it says Liquid Death. And I was like, oh, my God. This is uh, we're, we're, some hardcore. I, I thought some like shit that. was going to go down on the podcast. But then you, it's just sparkling water. But it's called Liquid Death, and it has like a skull on it, like a, like a ghost skull. Yeah. So I mean, It's uh, a really cool bottle. So it's out of... Uh... Where did we say it was out of? Shut up. It's out of the Austrian Alps. So this company is, uh, it, it's actually really interesting. I think their marketing is obviously very good. They're trying to kill the plastic bottle industry. Uh, and so they're selling wa regular water and sparkling water in aluminum cans. because oh. Aluminum's easier to recycle than plastic is. And so I, I think that's their motivation. But uh, again, Ravi, Matt's uh, training partner showed up with a can of this at uh, jujitsu one morning, and we all thought he was drinking a tall boy of beer. After it early, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if uh, if you get pulled over with with one of these in your cup holder, yeah, you might run into a little bit of trouble at first. Don't hey, resist I, the rest. I gotta ask you guys something. I'm sitting in here with two orthopedic surgeons. You know, one of you guys got to know how to fix my knee. Okay, it's been forever. And uh, I have my MRI here. Here they go. Look at <laughs> <Thank> it. <you. laughs> it's three years old, by the way. The last time I had an MRI was three years ago. But um, I think I have a tear in my cartilage on the uh, on the bottoms on the on the patella on the uh, um, yeah. yeah the kneecap right the patella yeah yeah. So what do you what do you do about that? Like you get a patient. Like if I came to you and I said, "Hey, doctor, my knee hurts," what would you do for me? Stretch your quads. What? Yeah, no wow. shit, man. No, I mean, I have a part. You you read my MRI, and that yeah. that's all you have to say to me is stretch your quads. Yeah. The, so even before that, it would be give me your imaging because yeah, I don't trust radiologists. Yeah. Oh, never. Not that not that they're bad. Throwing stones. I'm not. I'm not getting back in another uh, uh, healthcare level debate, <laughs> especially <laughs> if your nurse practitioner is reading your MRI. Oh wait, I didn't say that. That was okay. a low blow. That was a low uh, blow. I'm, I'm just joking. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, well, we'll talk about that in a second. But something that that uh, Dr. Garcia didn't even mention. So he, I mean, he is truly my boss. He's our program director of our residency. So uh, he kind of steers the ship that that we all embark on as we go from after medical school to becoming, you know, independent surgeons. Um, and being humble and modest, he, you know, neglected to mention that we're in the top, you know. 5% of the country in terms of scores for interest training exam, in terms of caseloads, we're up there too. You could ask around. We're probably one of the better programs, period. Um, and that's a direct reflection of, of leadership and the way we're trained and taught to do things. And from day one, it's uh, people will show up to clinic with paper just like that. Uh, a lot of times they use scary words like tear, fissure, torn, you know, uh, fraying, things that like when you hear it, your mind thinks damage or destruction or like i'm helpless and we get all the time 45 year old guy about to retire from the military doc my shoulder's all torn up right their exact words 
because they read that MRI report that says, you know, partial thickness, articular sided tearing of the supraspinatus, aka the rotator cuffs, a little worn and torn, which happens to uh, more than half the people in this country yeah. or in this world as they age. Uh, first thing I need to do is let me see the imaging, then let me lay hands on you and yeah, stretch your quads. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I would say that, uh, you know, a little bit of medical advice. Uh, when you go and see your orthopedic surgeon and they come in and they talk to you and, you know, you're telling them your story and you say, oh, did you take a look at my MRI? If they say, yes, say you actually looked at the images or did you read the report? Because uh, I don't think that you can be a good orthopedic surgeon by just reading the report. You need to actually look at the images. You need to assess it yourself. So I say stretch your quads just because um, having that cartilage defect on your kneecap, on the backside of your kneecap, uh, it's not the easiest. Uh, I mean, we have tons of techniques to address it. You know, I could do a big, huge osteotomy, meaning I cut your bone, uh, shift over your your insertion of your patellar tendon to offload some of the pressure across your kneecap. That sounds horrible. Yeah, exactly. Flip your kneecap over, you know, do this fancy technique where we harvest your cartilage, send it off to a lab, grow your cartilage, put it back inside your knee. And that then, sounds even worse. Yeah, high five, <laughs> high five you and say, man, your knee's going to be great. And there's some evidence that patients do well and stuff like that. But you, a guy that does jujitsu, you wouldn't be happy. You're and I drink whiskey. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, a lot of that stuff, depending on how it happens, a lot of it, if your quads are flexible, you stay healthy, keep your weight down, you'll do just fine. And it's, it's funny it's, how that can be. Uh, that can be the the solution or the the advice for so many injuries. Just Patients don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear, agree that. With that. Nobody well, wants well, to hear that. Well, patients don't want to do the work to actually strengthen their bodies. Right. That's the number one problem. 100%. That's why a lot of people just opt for surgery because they don't want to do the work to strengthen their body. And a lot of, a lot, most, most aches and pains can be corrected with some basic strengthening routines. Agreed. It's amazing to me that if I take that MRI to five or 10 different orthopedic surgeons, out of 10, I'll probably get eight different opinions. How good is your insurance? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you have a nice, uh, nice I mean, reimbursement on your insurance, you'll be signed up for surgery that day. Uh, okay. All right. So worse insurance, better advice? Uh, different advice. Or I mean, a lot of places in town, if you don't have insurance, you're not, you're not even getting in to see that guy. You'll get referred. Well, to us down I, at, I, uh, I, I, I get Texas that. Tech. No, I get that part, but I'm saying like, it's it, for me, the fact that there's such structured, programs and education for becoming doctors and surgeons, I would assume that if I went to 10 different surgeons with my injury, I would get at least nine out of 10 would have the same approach yeah. to treating it. And then there'd be one outlier who's just a little bit different. Uh, but it's actually the other way around. Like you're probably going to get nine different opinions and maybe two people are going to agree. And I find that very curious. Like anytime you go to a doctor with a problem, it's rare that, that you get that you get the same uh, advice from different doctors. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I think there are some injuries, uh, some conditions where people agree across the board. Mm -hmm. You know, you come to see me with an ACL tear, you need an ACL reconstruction. There might be some, you know, variation in techniques. You know, some might recommend autograft, meaning your own tissue. Some might recommend allograft, meaning we take tissue from a cadaver. But any rational orthopedic surgeon for a young active guy like you is going to say you tore your ACL, you're going to do better in life if we reconstruct your ACL. So there are some things in the orthopedic world where most surgeons would agree, right? Uh, the problem is, is there's a lot of things like you're saying where we would disagree and we would all have different opinions on the best way to treat it. 
And uh, so I always present it to patients like, you know, I don't necessarily have the right answer. This is why I think this is the best situation for you. Um, I can refer you to somebody else if you think that you want to hear a different opinion. And then right. even if you go and get that different opinion, you're always welcome to come back and talk to me and we could talk about what that other surgeon said. So, you know, it's, it's kind of that thing. Like, I don't think that I know everything. Um, I know a lot, but there's a lot that I don't know. So, uh, you know, it just kind of points to the fact that, uh, you know, we, we're still learning how to take of care of these things. You know what I mean? Of course. Have you guys done much research into, uh, things like non-invasive treatments like PRP injections and stem cells? What do you think about that? I mean, that's one of the hottest areas of research right now yes. is, um, is orthobiologics. So what can we do to augment our body's ability to heal and prevent injury? And across the board, I mean, we're, to dumb it down, we're injecting PRP into almost every single joint we could find to see if it helps whatever pathology is going on in that joint. We're using it intraoperatively, postoperatively, preoperatively, meaning at different points in their treatment, or even without in the absence of surgery, just in the office. And uh, the issue with like PRP specifically is it's so variable. How do I create that that concentrate, right? What is an effective dose of it? How do I know that this plasma has the same concentration as that plasma? Um, so it's really hard to study. And that's the issue is that uh, I'm a fairly involved researcher and something being reproducible is the key, right? If I research something and I say this works, the hope would be that some other surgeon could come up and reproduce my study and say, yep, I got the exact same results as you did or similar results. But PRP, everybody has different blood and different uh, components of it. And it spins down to different concentrations. Uh, and the, the way that it's you know collected and generated um, makes it difficult to research, but the idea is sound, right? We generate a local inflammatory response and that's what PRP is doing. And by stimulating our body's natural inflammatory response, we accelerate healing. Um, and it's, uh, it's definitely the hot area of research right now and outcomes across the different joints and the different parts of the body are all over the place. And it's difficult to say that, yes, it works in this joint or no, it doesn't work in this joint. But um, I talk to all our kind of young medical students that come through and want to talk about research and stuff. And they ask, you know, where do you think ortho is going in the next 10 to 15 years? And I say biologics and cartilage restoration. I think that those are the two areas that we really don't understand yeah. yet. But like Dr. Garcia said, you come in with an ACL tear. Yeah, we talk about your graft choice and your rehab a little bit. But other than that, that's a clear cut indication. But an MRI or a cartilage injury. Yeah, there's new, a whole lot of stuff. A whole Can lot of new research. Can you elaborate a little bit on how inflammation assists, assists the body in healing? Because inflammation is one of those things that's almost always talked about as a negative thing, but it can yeah. help in, uh, in healing. It, it's the way we heal is through inflammation. It's this inflammatory cascade. And what happens is, in essence, blood flow to an area generates a local or we have a local inflammatory response. Our body maximizes blood flow to an area. We bring in our healthy cells, our various white blood cells to the area, which then repair any damage. And that's how we heal. It's why when something gets injured, it gets swollen and edematous and inflamed and sore. And that's our body trying to heal. And we've put a bad kind of spin on anti-inflammatory because by being anti-inflammatory, we can help with pain and discomfort associated with healing, but we may also stymie that healing response that we have in that area. Sometimes a pro-inflammatory environment's really not that bad for healing acute soft tissue injuries. 
if you have a chronically inflamed gut though, uh, you know, yeah. you're going to, you're going to set yourself up for damage because the gut's not meant to be inflamed chronically, but, or your vascularity, things like that. Yeah, exactly. Which is exactly. how heart attacks are, you know, people are getting a better understanding of this whole cardiovascular risk and everything. And, and it, we're starting to realize that the, this constant inflammatory state of your cardiovascular system is really what leads to heart attacks, strokes, things like that. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think, uh, this whole anti-inflammatory thing takes some ibuprofen if you're having pain. Yeah, it helps with the pain, but there's actually a lot of research in yep. the orthopedic world that shows that your recovery is actually delayed if you're on anti-inflammatory medications because you're not letting your body's natural repair mechanism fold out the way that it's supposed to. You're blocking that in, in some way, shape, or form. So it actually prolongs the duration of your injury. So in that sense, anti-inflammatories could be doing more harm than good. Yes. Yeah. And they looked at it for a Why while. Why are they so popular then? Because well, it helps I mean, the pain. You're in the drug industry. I mean, you're in the you're you're in the medical you know sales industry. So I mean, you understand. People got to make money. Business has got to make money. So you well, know, you I, do what you got to do to to market things and sell them. And, I think more so than that is uh, people just can't tolerate a little bit of discomfort. Yeah. Well, uh, nobody wants to be. In pain. I think that's the biggest 100%. part. Is if you told people toughen toughen up a little bit. <clears throat> And just suck it up. Yeah, you're going to be hurting for a few days, but do your therapy and you'll get better. Uh, that, that's not a very popular thing. As a doctor, you probably won't get many referrals. They'll, they'll put you uh, on blast on, you know, Yelp. They'll, yeah. they'll, they'll give you a one-star rating. Uh, Dr. Garcia is a jerk. Yeah, he didn't treat my pain. And then they'll go to find somebody that'll write them a prescription to give yeah. them pain medications. That's a big problem, man. People just can't handle a little bit of discomfort. My wife's a physical therapist. So, I mean, I'm just just sorry, brother. I'm just, yeah. Um, <laughs> So it's interesting to listen to some of this stuff because I listen to her and she's like, yeah, just stretch it out and you'll be fine. Yep. It's mm-hmm. going to hurt for a couple of days. And she's big on no ibuprofen. Like I can't mm-hmm. convince her to take anything. She'll have a headache. And it, it reminded me of a conversation I had with E. What, Monday, Tuesday? Yeah. E was, had a headache. I had like, a headache. I'm just going to put some turmeric on. I was like, just take some ibuprofen. He's like, <laughs> he's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's, 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 that's my, how my wife is. But, you know, she fixes a lot of people. I mean, she does. She takes what they do and yeah. And, helps them out so but but what are i mean that that's that i i I feel the same way by the way i'm like yeah whenever something's hurting i'm like i need a little bit of i need to do this exercise i need to do that i need to get blood into my shoulder joint that kind of thing stretch it out indian clubs are great because they loosen up the joints they bring blood into the joint Mm -hmm. things like the earthquake bar we can we can get into those more more detail about that stuff in a bit but i think that stuff is awesome i think physical therapy is severely underrated but i feel like that's probably the way that I feel like there's there's a slow shift from surgery to physical therapy, and as as more and more people become exposed to physical therapy and get better results, I think it's becoming a more popular opinion that let's just cut you up and fix you. I always try to tell patients, um, and most of them don't believe me. Some do, but I always say I try to talk you out of surgery. Like my goal should be that when we reach, surgery, how are you gonna make money, bro? <sighs> we're in a socialist system in the military, so it's not too bad. Uh-huh. <laughs> but well, I, mean, uh, I think the, the thing is, is like, there are some very clear cut things. You yeah. come and see me and you have an injury. I'll fix the injury. Yep. Right. You know, like an ACL tear or something yes. like that. I mean, therapy is not going to help fix your If ACL. something is completely, completely torn off the bone, you right. got to reattach. Yeah, it you have something broken. You have something. That's one thing. Uh, and that's where we'll make our living based mm-hmm. on, on, you know, fixing those, those things. And then you have these chronic, like uh, overuse, mm-hmm. tendonitis type of injuries. And those are the ones where people should move, 
get flexible, stay strong, see the therapist. Uh, and those are the things that, you know, 90% of the time you can fix without surgery. And people want to come in and they, they don't like that answer. Like you were yeah. saying, most people can't tolerate a little bit of pain or they think that if you send them to a therapist, you're kicking the can down the road, right? And just, yeah. you know, I just want to get it fixed doc. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and for us to tell them, this is the way to get it fixed that, that, that this hard work and this, you know, you buying into our treatment plan is the way to make you better. A lot of people, um, you know, they want the, and that's it, but quick fix, know, buddy for a lot of our injuries, that's the American way. Yeah. A lot of our injuries, we don't, we're getting there for certain things, but we're not there for a lot of things. And, uh, you know, it's really tough. And, um, you know, those are the ones I think that give us a lot of pause when people are in clinic and it's just, you have a patient that nothing seems to work and you have that, that, that voice in the back of your head, should I operate on them? Should I offer them surgery? But what am I going to do? Just stick a camera in their shoulder and hope I find something like that's, that's bad surgery to go in without a plan. Yeah. If you have a plan and you're <laughs> I'm, going I'm to do a diagnostic arthroscopy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. And then you start <laughs> finding stuff and, uh, you, you can do a lot of harm with surgery or God forbid they, they're the, the one in a thousand that gets an infection from gets a, a blood poorly clot indicated, or something. Yeah. It gets a blood clot ends up on the ICU. All those things can happen. And, you know, we try to pick surgeries that are, you know, we balance our risk and benefit and make a clean, clear choice and go into the surgery with a plan and an idea of what we're going to do. And knowing that this is the right thing for this patient on this day for their problem in their, you know, for who they are and what they expect. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's all good stuff, man. I, I, if you have no other choice but to operate, then you got to operate. But I think people should remember that surgery is a last resort. And I've tried to talk a couple of people out of having back surgery, man, and they just wouldn't listen. Like they just wouldn't listen. And I've told them, listen, this is what you got to do. Here's a physical therapist I recommend. Go talk to him. Here are some exercises that have helped me a lot. And I'm sure they'll help you too. Just try them out. And they're like, oh no, I talked to I talked to my ortho. And he told me he, he told me I need surgery. And I'm like, you're 28 years old. You have bulging discs. You don't need surgery. Like a bulging disc is not that big of a problem. Not, not, not as much as people think it is. And then they go get their backs fused, man. They get the discs cut, they get their backs fused, and they lose flexibility, they lose range of motion. I think it's it's absolutely disastrous. One of the things that I recommend to everybody is the reverse hyper machine. Like I, I think it should be law yeah. that every gym in America has one. Like I don't think you should be allowed to open a gym without having a reverse hyper in there. What, because what are you trying to say? <laughs> you don't have one in your gym? We don't have the space. Uh, you need one. <laughs> so, uh, I haven't. I haven't seen what's in your gym. But I know what's up with that? Yeah, like, <laughs> next, seriously, it's next door to where you train. Oh shit! I walked into this. Uh, yeah. Well, no, but but the thing is, man, it's a like, great machine. What it does in terms of rehab and strengthening of the lower back, not only does it distract the spine, but it hydrates the discs. And you guys can tell me what you think about this as, as orthos, uh, as orthopedic surgeons. You can tell me if you think this is this is fact or fiction or, you know, just, uh, yeah, fact or fiction. Um, the, lower, the lower back has a very poor blood supply. So back problems are twofold, compression and dehydration. Discs get dehydrated, backs get compressed, and then you have problems. And so you got to pump up the lower back. You got you to bring a lot of blood into that area because the discs extract fluid from neighboring uh, blood sources through a process through a process called diffusion. Yeah. And so if you're not pumping up your lower back, you're just letting it wither and, 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 and just get worse and worse with every passing year. What the reverse hybrid does, you lie down on it face down, your legs are suspended 
and they're hooked on, onto this, this pendulum and you start swinging the pendulum up and down. So you squeeze your glutes and your spinal erectors to lift the weight up and then you relax and you let it fall down. Not, not free fall, but like, you know, you control it maybe 20% on the descent and then you squeeze again and you lift it up. And by the time you've, you're do a set of 15 to 20 reps and you stand up, you feel like you're standing straighter. Like your lower back is pumped. You feel like you're standing straighter. It decompresses the spine. It helps with sciatica. It, I mean, it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal tool. And the fact that you don't see people using it or even worse, you go to gyms where they have it and still nobody knows how to use it. I just want to shoot myself. Like what's going on in this gym? You see people get on it. They don't put any weight on the machine. They kick their legs way up in the air, hyperextending their spine. And I go, you just turned a therapy device into something that's actually making you worse. Torture device. Yeah, it- to me, uh, 95, like I've got low back problems. I mean, my back will go out, but through my wife, I've realized it's not my back at all. It's my hamstrings. Yep. Yeah, super tight hamstrings. And that that just, it'll lock me up quick. Yeah. Posterior chain. We yeah, live in a, home. it's yeah. all linked. Yeah. yeah, we live in a, a an age in society and I'm guilty of it. I always try to remind myself of low black, low back flexion and a non-active bottom squat position. So we're always shortening our hamstrings when we sit as humans. And most humans flex their spine when they're sitting around, which is yes. this look. What it does is short hamstrings, uh, tilt the pelvis abnormally. They live in this constant state of flexion. And what the, the hi- reverse hyper is doing is it's putting you back into extension where yeah. you should be as humans. We are these great bipedal creatures where our shoulder girdle is supported over our pelvis, is supported over our knee, goes down through the center of our ankles. Um, and by what we do in life, we 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 kind of counter this with you know the people who sit at a desk eight hours a day um they don't go into an active bottom squat position anymore they don't externally rotate at the hips to get their knees tracking over their toes with with strong low back um and uh i think you've said it before dr garcia just uh like you brush your teeth you get in a bottom yeah, squat the position in the morning position. yeah <laughs> really yeah you brush your teeth on a squat yeah i have electric toothbrush and uh <laughs> it's got a two minute timer so i know that if I get into a squat position while I'm brushing my teeth that until I'm 90 years old, I'm going to be able to get down into a good bottom squat position. That's and, awesome. I mean, it's crazy. I have these young, like 18, 19, 20 year old soldiers come into my clinic oh, God. and they can't squat past 90. And they're wondering why Jeez. their back hurts, why their knees hurt, why their hips hurt. It's because they do nothing to try and improve the motion in their joints. And yeah. they have these tight hamstrings, which leads to back pain. Um, yeah. So yeah. The toothbrush position, sit, sit in a deep squat when you're uh, using your electric. <laughs> that's that's good advice. What do you think about you know how uh, uh, what's the position called? Like how Chinese people sit on the floor and drink tea where they kneel. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah, like like you're meditating. I do you that know, sometimes yeah. Oh, yeah. Where, where you just like you're kneeling, flat ankles, yeah. but you're yeah, you're completely, Perfect. yeah, you're completely, your weight's completely down. And I'll just sit there in front of the TV sometimes drinking some tea. Yeah. I like to think of myself like I'm embracing some sort of Eastern. Yeah, dude, like Zen. <laughs> yeah. 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 Can't get I mean, that's great for stretching your ankles and your knees. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. And then I have to get up slowly because my knees kind of, they get so stretched, I guess, in that position or they're under a lot of tension that I got to stand up kind of slowly because yeah. they almost fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah. So the, you know, the honest thing is, is you that, do that if, uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jiu-jitsu yesterday morning. I mean, we sit in the what, saddle position. Yeah, saddle position. Can't get there. Yeah. Okay. Ankle, yeah. knee, well, no. well, and that's the thing is, like, if uh, you, you know, you look at all these metrics for as we age, uh, how can we gauge uh, somebody's health? And, and 
one of the best ways is to take an older person, put them on the ground, and are they able to get up off the ground without any assistance? Uh, and get up they, how though? Like just just stand up or stand like, up. They could put one hand down. They could put their hand on the ground. Yes. They could put their hand on What's their up? knees. And there, there's actually, uh, and we talk about it more with like muscular dystrophy yeah. and stuff like that. But there's actually a scale that measures somebody's ability to get up off the ground. And uh, depending on what type of assistance you need, that's your functional level. And uh, as we get older, the unfortunate thing is, is people are no longer independent. They can't, you know, I've fallen and I can't get up was this famous, uh, you know, TV commercial. I don't ever want to be that, you know, Agreed. barring any kind of hip fracture or something like that. If I fall down for the rest of my time on this planet, I want to be able to stand up. And that's Jeez, the reason. Uh, yeah, I hope everybody has that mentality. But that's the problem is that we, I mean, we have 50 year old people in the city that can't get up if they fall oh, down. Oh, sure. You know, sure. and so, uh, or can't open a can of tomato sauce. Yeah. <laughs> they can't even operate a can opener. What yeah. is that? <laughs> the Italian, like, there, there's not an Italian on the planet that uh, every can't open a can of tomato, tomato sauce. sauce. What do you mean? <laughs> you mean no. you guys open tomato sauce? Yeah, oh, you, yeah, make, you, you make, make it. it right? Oh, you had to open the tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, uh, I mean, like Garcia said, there's, there's certain tests that when you look at them, that they're, you boil them down to what they're testing. It's, it could be a nightmare for some people to think that, you know, with improper health and maintenance of what we have, that I could be having a therapist look at me and say, hey, you know, get up out of this chair, walk X amount of feet, turn around, walk back and sit in this chair. And that's a test to determine that's my my ambulatory independence, the time to get up and go test. And that we could, as humans, could reach a stage. There are injuries that happen, right, that we yeah. can't avoid. but. That overall, we could become so deconditioned that we're looking at the ability of somebody to get out of a chair, walk a few steps, turn around, walk back, and sit in that chair. And yeah. if I were to tell you that you could be doomed, doomed to that if you don't take care of yourself, or you know, barring a bad injury, of course, but like that—that's what your life becomes. And being unable to get in a bottom squat position, or do a pull-up, or get yourself over a wall, or oh, man, climb, a pull-up, yeah, climb a fence safely, and uh, it's these tasks that. We push ourselves to do multiple repetitions of, but you take the average 50 or 60 year old, you know, in a universally unhealthy or questionably healthy city, and you're like, oh, can you, you know, climb up over this five foot wall? Or can you, you know, even just hoist yourself up onto this box or something? And they look at you as if you're asking them to pick lottery numbers or, you know, or run 10 miles. Yeah, you know? run, run like, 10. Yeah. You're like, I just asked you to get down into a squat position. It shouldn't be that hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of the problems with why the uh, the armed forces are having trouble recruiting. Right? Like, yep. there's a shortage of special forces. There's a shortage of uh, I don't know. I guess overall soldiers were yeah. having trouble finding people who can pass the physical. Wait yeah. until the eighteen year old, yep. eighteen year olds who who can't run. What is it like? You got to run a mile and a half and do some push ups. Two and, miles for the army, mile and a half for Air Force and Navy. But yeah, and the well, I mean, look, Marines are hardcore. Marines have a hardcore. So, standards. so the Chair Force has the has the lowest Na Navy and Air Force, which, by the way, uh, Army uh, Air Force today. Uh, yeah. I think it's oh, hilarious yeah. that people call it the Chair Force. Yeah, but, but I mean, disrespectful. There, there was just a <laughs> what stat, hilarious. There, there was just a stat that came out recently. Were you in the Air Force? Why are you laughing? <laughs> no, I just it's funny. I, I had two brothers in the Navy. My dad was Air Force. I just oh, okay. All right. So, uh, there was just a stat looking at, and I, I'm gonna make up a number, but it was something like 70% of 18 year olds don't qualify for military service because wow. of their body fat percentage, their wow. overall health. Yeah. Wow. That's terrible. And that, that is a, that is an epidemic right there. Oh, 
Terrible. That's yeah. a huge epidemic that I'll, nobody I'll t- that nobody talks about yep. because you wouldn't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Yeah, we're it's going to get worse too because they're rolling out a new, excuse me, a new uh, fitness test for the army, and it has actually some decent movements built into it. it has a deadlift. It has a standing power toss. A standing nobody's getting jump. In. I mean, yeah. It, We're going to have to start giving out visas to other countries who can come over and join the military and, and pass the physical test. It's going to be scary to see what, <laughs> what the average person does when you ask them. And the minimum deadlift is a laughable amount, like 130 pounds or something. Yeah, it's less yeah. than body weight. For yeah, less than, exactly. Yeah. Especially for a lot of uh, Americans now too. And it's like, you ask the average person, uh, you know, to deadlift 130 pounds, haven't been in the gym. Good luck. They, they they may do it, but they're going to hurt for the next four or five days afterwards. And uh, I think this this unfit for duty kind of epidemic that you're alluding to is it's going to get worse. We're going to have less people fit for duty um, because the standards, which I mean, calling them standards, it is what it is. But uh, you know, for this room of people, it's it's an easy day. You know, it's a pre workout more than an actual workout. It's a yeah. warm up. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is going to be disqualifying. Dude, when I was about 21, I was working as a bouncer. One of the guys that was working with me, he was also around my age, I think a couple years old or something like that. And he wanted to try out for the Las Cruces PD. And and so, like, I knew he just had his exam. So the next day I see him, I say, hey, man, how'd it go? Like, did you get in? He goes, oh, bro, I, I, I didn't pass the physical. I just couldn't stop laughing. I laughed at that guy so hard. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. I laughed at him for like for the rest of the night. Anytime I'd see him, I'd just crack up laughing. I was like, bro, you have to run a mile in in like 12 minutes, yeah. I think. That's a that's a kind of a slow mile. You walk and back. then you had yeah. to, yeah, and then you had to do like I think 20 push-ups and 40 sit-ups or something like that. And he goes, Oh yeah, but like you don't understand. I ran the mile and then there was no break. I just have to do the sit-ups right after. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Like, bro, this is time. embarrassing. Exactly. Yeah. So this uh, article uh, basically says 71% of uh, young adults between 17 and 24 are ineligible for military service. Based How, what, on, what percent? Uh, 71%. Jesus. Only 29% of Americans 17 to 24 actually qualify for the military based on physical standards. And the criteria you know what I for coming into the military, not that high. I, I blame pizza buffets. Oh man, <laughs> when, when are we going? I yeah. missed the last. Yeah, one. you missed the last one, man. We, uh, yeah, well, you both had to. I think you got tied up at work. Yeah, I was in. The well, you got yeah. called into surgery, yeah, and then John. I don't know what happened, dude. Uh, uh, well, right, right now, right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're talking mats late right now. <laughs> uh, well, right now, this time of year, Peter Piper has their stuffed crust. Yeah. So you just we just go just 